there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded The Choir Master, a Psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 41 in the ESV. And amen. Hello, and welcome to another fantastic, healthy episode of A Balm and Gilead. I am your host, Brian, and sitting across the screen from me is my good friend, Grant, who, last I checked... (laughs) is not a baker. <laughs> I am a baker. I bake you lots of bread. I, you do. I, I was doing sourdough before COVID made it cool. I started mm-hmm. my starter in January of 2019. So a full year before COVID. <laughs> I, actually, I actually was uh, talking to someone uh, earlier this week. And uh, I was talking about that I have a podcast. And he's like, oh, everyone has a podcast. And I said, yeah, but I started my podcast before COVID. <laughs> so, yes. So as you may have heard the from the coughing sounds that Grant keeps pushing on the button, <laughs> thank you. Thank you again, Justin, for that. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. It's unfortunate that Justin cannot my pleasure you here because he is sick. Get well soon, Justin. Get well, Justin. But we are recording this on 
That's right. Which is also yeah. very cool. And he's done some great work on that. Yes. So we're back on Dadio mostly because it's just two of us and we're pretty sure it's not going to overload the system. Um, and yeah, we hope that Justin and his family get better. Um, Absolutely. We also hope we also hope that good friends of the show, uh, Jesse and Leah um, Roberts, get better from uh, being sick as well. Because I was supposed to actually host the show with Jesse, and he was not able to make it on. Jesse being uh, one of the singers for um, for Bishop Hoover. So hopefully we'll have them back on soon. But Absolutely. As we are jokingly calling this episode this is the episode in which covid tried to kill the podcast (laughs) this is the survivors podcast right here we are the survivors (laughs) we are the survivors also it's kind of like back to old times it's brian and grant yeah having having a good time yeah absolutely nice to see you again uh it's been a couple weeks since we you know for the listeners out there we actually uh built in a break um so that, you know, Justin's wife could have their second child. And, uh, we, uh, actually we really enjoyed it and it was great and now it's time to get back at it. So, mm-hmm. uh, great to be back in the studio with you after a bit of a break there. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been a good time. Um, so some exciting things have happened, uh, what? since, since we, uh, last spoke. Um, I don't think you're talking about my new desk chair either. I'm not talking about your new desk chair, which I can't actually see. I just oh, see you that's swivel. the beauty of it. It's I still just, don't actually see. There it uh, is. It's just a there tiny, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Grant got a new chair. I got a, <laughs> I, I got a new preamp. So Woo-hoo! I'm actually not recording on my works podcast equipment any longer. I am recording on my very own podcast equipment. And we still have not actually started my works podcast yet. So... We're very excited for you. So that podcast may or may not actually happen. We're hoping. I hope that podcast happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If it doesn't happen within like the next year or so, it may not happen at all because I am uh, currently in the process of getting certified to teach math. I love math. I do too. What grade? Uh, I hope to do high school, like geometry and algebra, stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff I did. I did Shout out to at. Mrs. Blackburn, my algebra one and uh, geometry teacher. So yeah, my geometry teacher, my geometry teacher was Mrs. Dust. I highly doubt she will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I did very well. I had more than a hundred percent in the class and never did my homework. So that's awesome! Wow, congratulations! So yes, uh, banking on that. Uh, well, you can always practice uh, teaching uh, mathematics on my kids. They don't like I it could. when I teach because I get a little too excited. I yeah, love have math. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the YouTube channel Number File, like with a PH? No, not yet, but I'm about to learn about it. All right. So Number File, uh-huh. uh, you know, lover of numbers. That's sure. what I mean. Um, it's just a bunch of like really nerdy math videos that are just incredibly fascinating. They are probably going to make it onto your family's YouTube night. How did you know? <laughs> I highly recommend uh, the episode on Graham's number. Uh, okay. Not Grant's number. Don't get confused. Okay. Graham's All right. number. Graham's. And if you, 
listener uh-huh. ever want to have your mind blown by the enormity of math and really truly from our perspective, the enormity of who God is and just how mm. big and impressive God is, uh, check out the video number file on Graham's number. It'll, it'll, okay. just, it'll destroy you. It'll well, destroy your I'm, brain. I'm going to just go ahead and trust you. I've already subscribed to them without watching a single video. And I'm about to find Graham's number and put it in unwatched into the family YouTube night. So you should, if you want to subscribe to that, just, I don't know, hit me up on, on Slack or something and I will send you that. Yeah. Um, And then you can be right there along with us. Yes. And if you feel like it, you can add in antiquated punctuation. Ooh, like, well, an interrobang. I mean, that's one of my favorite punctuation marks of all time. It's a pretty fantastic punctuation mark. It's like a, a question mark overlaid on top of an exclamation point. Yeah, it's meant to show kind of like a... What? Sarcastic almost. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I... Well, like I, a Switchfoot album. What? A new one? A 12th Switchfoot album. What? Interrobang. That's awesome. So, Interrobang, uh, yeah, when did it come out here? Um, this year, ago. obviously, a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been getting songs off of it uh, one by yeah. one on my Friday uh, yeah, they, playlist. You know, they've been releasing like a song every other week or so uh, for the past little bit, and uh, it, they've been really, really, they're really interesting. Um, so Switchfoot will often do um, like most of their stuff is is pretty, say, poppy. I mean, it's pretty. Um, caters to the normal crowd. They they are more interesting than most in that they will throw in some chord progressions that are not typical. Um, they they like to go to the minor third quite often. Uh, where where most most bands will only do the one, the four, the five, and the minor six, and maybe a minor two. But Switchfoot likes to go to the minor three. Like that's kind of their trademark. Yeah, um, that, that sounds like and, a song. The yeah. minor fourth, uh, or the fourth, like the fifth. The fourth, yeah, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, yeah. which is not a Christmas song if you've ever followed sat- Lutheran satire. Or even a, a Christian song, but that's what's not a Christian point song because if you follow anyone. I, I think that uh, Spotify believes that it is because it has, it, I mean, it's called Hallelujah. Um, yeah. And a lot of people confuse it for like a Christian song because I believe it me- mentions King David and it's called it Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a very good video. I won't get into it. Put out by Lutheran satire on what the song actually is and what it is not. And it's a little beyond G rated. Not like not really above PG rated, but it's beyond G rated. Okay. So, all right. So I won't. I'll let you find it. I'll, I'll let oh. you stumble <laughs> Let's go to the uh, website. We'll we'll have a link to it uh, there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just funny. I don't want to. I don't want to give away the punchline. Is all I'm saying. Okay. Um. Yeah. So in Terabang, uh, it is incredibly interesting musically. It is like a music theory practicum. Uh, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. Um, as I was saying, Switchfoot will often put out some darker tracks on some of their albums. A lot of times they'll do like a B sides where they're just kind of more interesting, minor undertone stuff. Um, not very like, not intending to be very popular. Um, I'd say some of their they have a, an EP called Eastern Hymns for Western Shores, 
which did a really good job with that. And then a lot of their B-sides on both Where the Light Shines Through as well as Native Tongue have a lot of those type songs. This album is just that. It's, it's a full-length album of just the minor undertone, uh, music theory, weirdness stuff. Very cool album. Very cool album. Um, still sounds like Switchfoot, but it is, it's, uh, it's from a vein that they don't tap into uh, very often. But uh, huge fan. So check it out. And Terabang. At a record store near you. At a record store near you called iTunes or Spotify to just stream it. So all over the internet, Walmart, maybe (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember if they still sell records, but anyway, that's kind of a, what has happened between the, our last episode and this one. Um, we do have quite a bit of follow-up because we have been not saying any follow-up over the last few episodes because we wanted to respect our guests' time. Uh, so I'll get to the first point of follow-up, which is we really enjoyed having our summer interview series. Uh, yes. It kind of started off, uh, it, it kind of just all came together and uh, was fantastic. So thank you again to Kyle Thompson, to Philip Moyer, to Renee Emerson, Cody Curtis and Henry Hafner. Yeah. Um, also, thank you to Jesse who helped me plan out this episode we're about to do. But um, again, he will not be here to participate in that. Uh, we do hope to have him on in the near future. Um, Absolutely. So, yes, pray for um, all those affected with COVID and other illnesses. Um, RSV is really bad already this year. And so, just pray for all of that, uh, especially as schools are going back into session and people who have been quarantining for three to four to 18 months are now not being quarantined. <laughs> They've been incubating. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, honestly, you know, back to those, the summer interview series, those were or have been some of my favorite ones to at least record uh, pretty much mm-hmm. because we get to talk to these really, really interesting people and uh, bring bring that all you know to you all the listeners and uh, just loved them so hopefully you did too and yeah for sure we yeah. definitely want to do more of that coming up uh, we have also recently had Justin on our show and he you may have noticed but his twang is absent from today's show and don't worry we hope that he will be back uh, but again as uh, uh, Jemerson was saying there that he's uh, not feeling real well right now and they got a new little one. So um, we holding them up in prayer. Yes. Um, we kind of made a joke on like his first or second week that this was like a trial run. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I just wanted to, to give that follow up that this Sweet is not the sign of the trial run being over. <laughs> He's still, he is still part of this team. He just is not with us this week. So Miss yeah. Justin. Miss you. Um, so on this episode, we are actually going to wrap up season three, which as you remember is actually our fourth season because we decided that was a good thing to do and not confusing at all. <laughs> uh, zero was our first eight to 10 episodes, then one, two, and this is season three. Um, so we are going to try to tackle the entire conversation of craft. We broke 
beauty up into several episodes, but we're going to try to tackle craft all in one. Um, but I, I also wanted to point out that we just wrapped up book one of the Psalter. Psalm 41 is the last Psalm in book one of the Psalter. So it is, uh, we kind of got it to, uh, we worked it out to where we are wrapping up season three and book one of the Psalter at the same time. Also season three wraps up the, basically we are finishing wrapping up our, um, the entire questionnaire. Like this is the last portion of the questionnaire. What are we so going to talk this, about? The, uh, the questionnaire of church song discernment, which has gone through many, several iterations. And after we record and upload this episode, we will be uploading the, the current final draft of the questionnaire. The current um, final draft. I love it. Current final draft. Um, so it'll be, it's, it's like 16 questions of how we go through uh, worship songs very specifically for ones being done in the church, but also it, it works for those that are on the Christian radio as well. And uh, so if you have not, if you're unfamiliar with that, then this must be your first episode and we say welcome. Otherwise we will put a, we will post a link in the show notes that will correspond with the current final draft. So well, I can't wait to hear more about this craft cheese. Um, so this is like the cheesiness factor that are the in the Christian the craft, songs that we hear scene. sometimes. Oh, see. Oh, oh, that, that kind. Okay. All right. Yes. Different, yes. different craft. In different case craft. any of the listeners were confused by that. Um, no, but I did once see a meme where someone said, Hey, I found the new Ed Sheeran album at Walmart and it was 10 cheesy singles. <laughs> that's good that's very good that's hilarious uh yes. lots of craft when it was a pack of cheese <laughs> for those of you who yeah <laughs> for those of you who didn't actually see the meme it was a pack of cheese 10 cheesy singles uh well Uh, I also want to say that uh, if you've been following our Instagram account for any length of time, you may have noticed that we don't post a lot. We had two posts on there, but Brian's wife, Renee has graciously taken over the, uh, the um, whatever it's called, Instagram, (laughs) the Instagram, the Insta. It's kind of that Jim and David let Bill Hasinger take over their Instagram account. Except for Renee actually does a good job. Oh, yeah. Bill, sorry. Um, he didn't mean that, like, personally. No, I did. Oh, dear. Oh. Uh, in case you're wondering, um, the lightest form of flogging podcast is coming to a close at episode 150. They, uh, at the time of this recording, have nine episodes left. And they are planning to have one last Ask Bill Anything episode so you can call them at um the number <laughs> we'll post giving them a number to a different podcast this is hilarious but they're good friends yes. so they're good um, friends yeah but maybe maybe now go. that they're ending we can have uh one or both of them on just to like talk that'd be fun yeah, too. Where's, where's where's bill gonna go once their podcast is over <gasps> what's gonna happen well to he can't come here <laughs> no he's not allowed we will not allow sorry bill you're Sorry, Bill. It's nothing personal. It's just it is. Uh, he didn't mean it to be mean, though. I did. Oh, 
Oh, oh well. Anyway, come check out our Instagram account. Do follow us. It's uh, you know you can just find it by searching Balmcast or Balm and Gilead on Instagram. We'd love to have you. Yes. And one time, Grant accidentally posted something to our account that he meant to post to his account, and then our we, Renee got locked out of our account. We had to change the password, so Grant doesn't know the password. <laughs> no, I'm the one that's locked out. Yeah, it would always default to the brand account for whatever reason. And so I rarely post on Instagram. I really do. And um, I posted a picture because I thought it was really cool. And um, well, it's on there now. I mean, it's still yeah, it is. There. It's there. We didn't, we didn't take it down. We no. just, it just is off brand for the content yes. you've come to know and love. Right. So um, also another kind of exciting thing. Um, so not the B, which is... yeah. Uh, if for all those playing at home, you've probably heard us talk about not the bee, discern not the bee, the Babylon bee, all of that's kind of one family of websites. So it is a news website that kind of focuses on like the more bizarre, like is this reality, is this the real life, um, which increasingly is just any news whatsoever. Any news, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially since Babylon bee is having a harder time finding things to satire because everything is just so crazy. Um, <laughs> They have, so not the B has a social portion of their website that you have to pay to be a member of, but, um, we, they, they have on their social part, they have a section for members podcasts. So if you're a member of the social side and you have a podcast, you can say, Hey, Dan Dillon, um, can you post my podcast? And he goes, yeah, sure. We can do that. And then you have to go in and manually upload every single episode. And it's fun, but we did that. And, uh, and so you can find our podcast on the Not The Bee social app. Um, and uh, we've already gotten a couple new followers uh, that way. So yeah. very, very happy. So thank you, Dan, again, for letting us do that. And also, sure. Dan, thank you for that endorsement that you gave us on the, on the Not The Bee website. That was, whoop, whoop, whoop. That was, really, was really humbling and it's really exciting for us. Absolutely. We love being part of all that. A lot of fun. So uh, the last bit of follow-up today is we got our first hate mail. So round of applause. Uh, Round of applause. Yeah. Wrong button. Oh, well. So we are not, I would say, discouraged by it. In fact, uh, we were kind of excited because it showed that people were actually caring about the kinds of things that we're talking about they're caring about the content. And uh, so, um, yeah, thanks for writing in. And um, we are happy that Balm and Gilead has been the cause of some, uh, for, for some critical thinking. And mm-hmm. we actually hope that you will write in with maybe what's good and maybe what's not. And uh, we thank you, you know, just ahead of time for our feedback. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can drop us a line on our email, which is there is at balmcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also leave a comment on our show, which is just at our website, balmcast.com. And for sure, please do leave us feedback in your podcast app of choice. And you get bonus points if it's Apple Podcasts because even Overcast, which I use, draws off the Apple Podcast like, you know, feed. And so if you're in Apple Podcasts, you're in over uh, overcast just like automatically, uh, which is really great. Anyway, uh, do rate and review us there. That helps tell other people about the show 
and builds up the community and, you know, just makes it more interesting for everybody. So, uh, you know, please uh, do that. Um, also, if you're curious uh, what the, uh, it's, it was actually fairly lengthy. And so we don't have time to read everything today, but uh, go to episode 32. Uh, and that was the, um, the Earth one on, no <laughs> I should have had this up. Yeah. Earth has no sorrow. Dustin Kensrue's deconstruction review of the gray by thrice and reviews of departures in Jesus. I have my doubts by John Foreman. Uh, so kind of a song versus song. Uh, some other stuff happened. That was actually, uh, we talked a little bit about process theology. Um, and what's interesting is, uh, we, you know, one of the kind of recurrent themes we've sort of documented sort of the, the falling away of, of Christians, um, and one of those was uh, Dustin Kenzer, and we talked about his particular uh, so-called deconstruction, um, though maybe it wouldn't be understood as such by actual deconstructionists, but whatever. We're not concerned about that. It is what he calls it, and uh, we talked about it. Somebody had some feedback, and we um, yeah, wrote back. So, yeah, yeah please, please do check that out. Yeah, and um, just spur of the moment, uh, speaking about deconstruction and uh, and CCM, I just want to give a quick plug to the Alyssa Childers podcast. They recently did an episode where they had uh, John and Corey Cooper on, uh, John of Skillet, and they also had uh, Jeremy Camp and his wife on. Um, his wife, I'm blanking on her first name, uh, but she is, uh, she was the lead singer of Benjamin Gate back in like the late nineties, early two two thousands. Um, so five members of CCM past and present, all talking about kind of their experiences with deconstruction and how their, their faith has been strengthened through their trials. And it's, it is an incredibly good listen. I highly recommend go and listen to that. It's, it's, a I'd love to have any one of those five people on to talk about that sometime, but they're like way above our pay grade. So if you're their agent, um, give us a call. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're just, you know, right into the email, make our day. That would be, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, I've already, already mentioned some of this, but I'm going to read a prepared manuscript intro to this episode. Um, so, so far this season, We've been talking about excellence in beauty and excellence in craft. We have focused deeply on a biblical argument for the pursuit of excellence, and we have had the opportunity to talk to many experts and practitioners about elements of beauty within music and poetry, uh, one small piece at a time. And so today we are actually going to tackle the entire conversation on craft. Um, it was my plan to record this episode with Jesse Roberts of Poor Bishop Pooper. But um, he let me know uh, the day before we were going to record that he and his family had COVID. And uh, unfortunately, he was not able to make it and he still has not been able to to make it back on. I know that his schedule was really tight. He was squeezing me in. But, um, you know, we I do still have a lot of his thoughts like we had been writing back and forth. And so I have a lot of his thoughts on uh, on craft. And I'm going to refer to some of those today, but I'm not going to read anything of his verbatim. Um, 
When I talk about craft, I am referring to the rules and the blueprints uh, that are learned and replicable for the purpose of being a foundation. I'm not just referring to music or even just art, um, but this is the foundational principle for all things that are crafted, whether it be for practical or presentational or somewhere in between. Um, I also believe that when craft is done well and in a God-honoring way, it will be beautiful. Uh, Because of this, I realize now that we should have had the conversation on craft before the conversation on beauty to lay the foundation of which to build kind of the walls on, but we didn't. And um, so now we're going to take a step back to talk about craft. As a result, there's probably going to be a decent amount of overlap and bleeding over into beauty. um, But we're going to try to stay as focused as we can specifically on craft. Um, A little bit about my personal background uh, I minored in creative writing in college, and I took a couple semesters of undergraduate music theory while I was in seminary. Um, I've also done a, a handful of uh, things online, like I've taken some free songwriting classes. Uh, I'm going to put in the show notes where those were and how to find them. Um, it was actually through uh, the Berkeley School of Music in Boston, uh, through a website called Coursera. But again, we will post that in the, in the show notes. Um, and I've also done some paid coaching and, uh, through NSAI, which is called Nashville songwriters association international. Uh, also there's a songwriting contest called song door, which is very inexpensive and you get personal critique back for every song that you enter. Both of those were incredibly influential with me kind of, um, understanding the songwriting process. Um, I do consider myself to be a novice in songwriting, but I do have some natural gifting and I've had enough coaching under my belt, um, to where I'm, I wouldn't consider myself to be like a bottom rung person. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, probably, probably closer to the top than the bottom, but who knows? Um, I, I do think that I am a better critic than practitioner, uh, which is ultimately why I started the podcast in the first place. Um, that said, I built my questionnaire using the limited knowledge that I had in the area. Then after especially talking to, uh, to Cody and Henry in the last few episodes, um, I've tweaked the beauty portion to be easier to follow and to incorporate uh, more and better concepts. And I've already gone through the craft portion and tweaked it a little bit, but by and large, it's still the same as it was when, when I first wrote it. Almost two years ago now. That's crazy. Our podcast is almost two years old. That's right. We we predated COVID. This is not a COVID podcast. Like two white dudes sitting down to record a podcast. Yeah, I get it. We're a cliche. But first of all, we now have three. True. And we started before COVID. We did. We did. We started before COVID. And technically, I think that the Sound of Worship podcast started before COVID as well. Well, there you go. I mean, we were just ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in preparation, I did ask uh, Jesse this question. Uh, and again, just reminding you, Jesse Roberts is, uh, he and his wife, Leah, are poor Bishop Hooper. Um, they are currently going through a, a weekly release of a psalm a week. 
So they just released 87, 86, 87. Um, so they're, they're getting up there. So they're about to hit 88, which is a really fun one. Um, but they, uh, so they've, and their songs are just excellent. They're just so good. There's some of the best stuff that's out there that no one's ever going to hear because they're not trying to become popular and they're not, um, yeah, they're not trying to get on the radio like people, other people that may or may not sell out. But and I didn't say they're that. getting better. They are too. getting better. Like the songs are continuing to get better. If you just listen, um, I mean, I'm going by the very unscientific um, mention of the you know number of green hearts and the number of green hearts that I've given songs in their their last twenty or so are more than their first twenty. I will say that. Yeah. Um, so in preparation, I, I asked Jesse this question: Would it be possible to write a song a week for three straight years without a firm grasp on the rules of language and music? And uh, this was part of his response. He said, because that is a great question, highly unlikely, uh, also unlikely to be able to do, to, to write this, this much music without having written a great deal before trying to tackle this endeavor. So he's, he, uh, kind of had that education. He was a music major, or he was a, sorry, a, a, a creative writing major in, in college. Uh, I know that his wife actually got a degree in music ministry. Um, never planning to become a music minister, but just because it, that subject matter interested her. Um, and so they've been, so that, so they're kind of their core was learn the music first, like learn how to write, learn how to play different styles of music. Um, Jesse also talked about how Leah is very fond of like, not just Western music and how she listens to other cultural, cultural music, how she tries to incorporate that in. So just learning this, you know, just the basic foundation of music and also practicing it. So putting that into practice, writing and writing and writing and, and just doing that was, was um, not just influential and in they're being able to, to tackle the every song project, but crucial. Um, and he, he shared a story and, and I've heard similar stories as well. Um, it's, I've heard the number said, you will probably write 100 songs before you write a good song. So your first hundred songs, you can all throw away. So if you can't, if, if you can make it to 101, you will have written a good song. That's not true across the board, obviously, but um, that's, that's typically if you have, if, if you hear any song on Spotify or anything that you think, wow, that's a really good song. There's probably at least a hundred that have been thrown out. Um, and I can say that from experience as well. Um, so all of that, all of that to say, uh, people that are learning craft, they're also learning, um, like discipline, like they're learning how to, um, learning how to put the pieces together, uh, but not just in a standard way, but how to put the pieces together in an, in a new and unusual way, but that doesn't necessarily throw out the rules. Uh, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, but, uh, I think the, just with the concept of 
just understanding the rules. Like if you understand that as foundational, um, then you can really get into, uh, you can really get into this idea of, of craft almost being like a tangible thing that, that you can turn into something beautiful. Um, so I mentioned earlier that craft applies to anything that you're tangibly making, anything at all that you're making. Like the verses that we used in the beginning to pull from this were about the tabernacle and the temple. And so we're talking about music for church. And you might say, how is that related? But all of it's related. If you're doing, if you're implementing the rules for craft, you implement them in anything that you are crafting. So we are going to talk specifically about songs being used in the church um, from here on. So I'm going to read through. Um, I'm going to read through some of the the questions that we have. I've edited them slightly just to kind of flow a little bit better. Um, but are the lyrics and music crafted, creative, clever, and clear? And what I mean by that, what I mean by crafted, are the lyrics and the music constructed well using the generally accepted building blocks of language and music? You might wonder, what are those generally accepted building blocks of language and music? And um, I'm not going to get all the way into that. I, I can point you to some sources to, to do that. If I did a whole episode on this, it would be very boring and you would turn it off, which is ultimately why we decided not to do that. But music theory and poetry theory and, uh, and lyric writing, they're very, very technical. Um, there are books upon books out there. Uh, for songwriting, I would say one of the best books that you might find uh, are Songwriting Without Boundaries and Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Patterson. He is... Um, he is one of the writing professors at uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and those books, like other colleges use those books when they're, when they're teaching songwriting. Um, and that Coursera course was, he was the one who was teaching it. Of course, he just had to record the, the sessions once and then other people graded everything and they probably made pretty decent amount of money, but you can take those courses for free from time to time, uh, through Coursera. And, uh, so we'll post that link as well. Uh, they don't offer them constantly, but they do offer them pretty regularly. Um, so that's one of the better places to go for song writing for lyric writing. Uh, and it's very, very, very basic. It's very technical. Um, and what you want to do is once you learn the basics, then you can kind of stray from the basics. So these rules are very much guidelines and not rules, rules, um, which we'll actually get into in a little bit. Uh, when I say creative, I, I'm talking about being original and fresh, but without throwing the rules out the window. So we've mentioned this before, John Cage, prime example of throwing the rules out the window. Um, does it make it bad? No, it doesn't make it bad. Um, but it's it. And we've had this discussion already, but the postmodern thought and just the idealistic, you know, worldview behind postmodernism is, 
antithetical to the Christian worldview. And so I, I might find it interesting. I might find it possible to enjoy, but personally, I think just the idea of throwing the rules out the window for the sake of throwing the rules out the window is just completely unappealing to me. I tried. I tried. I really, really did. I really did, but I just couldn't get into it. It's okay. I, I do have a podcast or a, a playlist that I keep adding stuff to when I hear good stuff. And I will eventually send that to you when it reaches some sort yeah. of critical mass. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see. So when I say clever, I'm talking about being you know thought-provoking and interesting. So you can say things um, point blank, and it gets the point across. But the point of a good song is to say something in such a way that it sticks with you. And when it's thought-provoking and interesting, when you, when you say something a new way that hasn't been said in that way before, and it still gets the point across, you're going to remember it. And, and it's going to stick with you. Um, a lot of lines from the, from the album Foreign Made by poor Bishop Hooper, I would say, are incredibly clever. Like That is just a very prime example of being clever. We do plan on doing a full review of that entire album uh, in season four. And hopefully Jesse will be there to enjoy that uh, with us. And then finally, um, clear. So when I say clear, I mean it needs to have the ability to communicate its message accurately and completely. Um, I think that's kind of where it can be difficult. Sometimes you can convey it completely, but not accurately. Sometimes you can convey it accurately, but not completely. Uh, sometimes, though, uh, the word completely, it, that, it's not necessary to to convey it 100% completely if part of the point of it is to be incomplete. Do you follow? Yes, I think so. Like it's um the if the point of it is not to be like complete there there's a way you can do that where it's really not complete, but then there's also a way that mm. leads to a question maybe that leaves an opening in order for uh, the listener um, or the, or the participant even to uh, um, continue yeah. on that path of shot of, of, of thought uh, very much like a, a philosopher or just other uh, you know, academic type might ask mm -hmm. a provocative type question, a, a provocation they might say. And uh, yeah, songs can be the and same. And again, way. you're going to want to be careful when you're doing that and not being provocative just for the sake of being provocative, but being provocative to get your point across. So if in order for, your, for the message that you're communicating to be communicated accurately and completely, if that provocation is necessary, by all means, do it. But I think a lot of music is provocative for the sake of being provocative. And I don't know, I just... I just don't really enjoy that as much. Um, but we kind of talked about that with the emotions episode a couple episodes back. Um, so that's kind of that, that first part of the, of the questionnaire on craft is crafted, creative, clever, and clear. It applies to both lyrics and music. 
similarly but differently, um, obviously, because music. Uh, I like how Cody Curtis put it, that lyrics, those are going to be black and white, but music is very subjective. And so having that subjectivity being married to that objectivity is something that just makes that makes songs so unique. Um, and so being able to you know, accurately convey your message with music is a lot more difficult than actively um, accurately conveying your music, your, your message with lyrics, but you can utilize the music to work with the lyrics, or you can utilize it to work against the lyrics often both in a positive way, um, often in a negative way, but often in a positive way. I've, I've used the example before that I think that the album supernatural by DC talk did a really bad job at marrying the lyrics with the texts that I think some of the texts were happy, but the music was sad. Some of the texts were sad, but the music was happy and it, and it actually changed the message of the song, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. But if they, if it had been better married, then I think the messages would have been better personally. So that's just an example. Um, It is. That's the real reason. Kevin Max. Way. <laughs> That's Kevin Max. Yeah. I, I'm teasing. That, I shouldn't tease about that. That's I, I do find it very sad. interesting though. And this is, this kind of goes back to it that the song on the album, my friend so long was a warning against deconversion, mm-hmm. but they did it in such a snarky way. Mm-hmm. Like the music was very positive and upbeat. Whereas the message mm-hmm. was this person is walking away from the faith. And the, the kind of like the na 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 you're wrong. I mean, it just was so like it left such a bad taste in my mouth. After I like graduated from high school and started beginning my own critical thinking and listened back to that song, I'm like, it would have been so much better if they had used some of the same chord structures and melodies for red letters, uh, which were very somber song. Mm. Whereas in red letters, which is about the words of Jesus mm-hmm. should have been a positive and uplifting song, but it was this really somber. I don't know. I just, there's a lot that could have been done better with that album. That won way more Grammys than I will ever win. <laughs> well, they, they had somebody they they, they, yeah. they, they made the list for somebody um, anyway. So those are the kind of the foundational things. Um, they're, they're kind of more broad so we're going to dive down into uh, into first words, or lyrics, and then some music in a more specific sort of way. Um, so the next section is discernible care and attention to word choice, grammar, syntax, and comprehensibility. So I believe that the actual question was, um, are the lyrics crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that shows discernible care and attention to word choice, grammar, syntax, and comprehensibility. So when we're talking about word choice, um, we're talking about growing in knowledge and vocabulary, vernacular, and appropriate language. Um, And then in parentheses, I have folk music can use a different set of words than sacred language. Um, uh, We did a whole episode on colloquial language and and uh, and how yeah, I did. think it's fine for you know 
CCM, but not so much when you're talking about like sacred music. Um, and just really knowing when to use, um, when to use colloquial language and when not to use colloquial language is it, it takes some, it takes some craft to do that. Um, and I think growing in, in your knowledge and vocabulary is, is huge. Uh, and I'd say you can go too far. You can, you can go too far with it where you're throwing in words that nobody understands and, um, or you're trying, you're throwing in words that, you know that your listeners aren't going to know in order to try to make yourself look smarter. Um, that happens. Um, and we, we want to avoid that. We want to use enough language that our listeners are going to understand, but we want to push them just a little bit. So we want to, uh, we want to use words that aren't used as often because the more unique words you use, uh, the more unique your music is going to be. And so the more people are going to, to catch on and it's going to stick in their mind. And that's a lot, of, a lot of what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to stick in the mind of your listener. Um, it's important. The reason why it's important is if you want people to remember your song, you want to stick in their mind. You can do that by either becoming an earworm, which is creating something that's almost annoying to where people are, aren't going to be able to forget it. Or you can do something that is, you know, choosing the right words, choosing the right vocabulary and the vernacular and what's appropriate in such a way that leaves people thinking, huh, that was really good and really interesting. Um, and people will remember it and they'll be able to, uh, to look that up later. Um, in the context of sacred music, especially, you know, we don't necessarily want to write the words that are going to, um, like, we don't want to strive for popularity. We want to reach the people. Like, we, we want people to, to know what they're saying. We don't want to just create a new language that people have to learn. Um, you know, one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, but you have to you have to know some antiquated language in order to really connect with that song. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, uh, hither, hither by thy help I'm come. Uh, it's, that's not direct uh, by today's standards. It was at a time, but not so much anymore. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, we just sang that song in church today. Uh, and to help people with that, they actually, uh, everything's up on the screen. The, the words are, and so they actually had like a little text underneath it during that one slide, just saying uh, Ebenezer gave the the Bible reference and uh, kind of in just a real brief, like, hey, this is what we're seeing, which I thought was was helpful. Yeah. Which is nice. And I've I've led the song before where I read from the passage of First uh, Samuel um, that explained it, and it makes sense. Uh, another one would be a bulwark never failing. Uh, once you know what a bulwark is, that song makes a lot more sense and is, and is even better. But you have to know what a bulwark is. And uh, Barnabas agrees. He's a very cute little one. He's grown up, though. He is. He is. Yeah, he is, he's a year old now. And uh, that's crazy. Is this, this, this past year, it's gone by pretty yes, quick. Yes, it has. <laughs> that's for sure. 
Um, so again, when we're talking about word choice, um, we want to reach the people where they are, but we don't want to necessarily, you don't want to necessarily use phrases that aren't going to stand the test of time. Like you don't want to use something that is, that is culturally and temporally relevant uh, to try to be hip and cool uh, because that's going to go away and then your song's going to be outdated. Um, but if you don't care about your song being outdated, then do whatever you want. But I do recommend for sacred music, trying to use, uh, you know, growing knowledge of vocabulary, vernacular and appropriate language such that you're trying to stand the test of time and that you're trying to, um, you're really trying to bring glory to God, not to yourself. Um, grammar. Grammar is a big one. Especially, uh, grammar is a big one for me. Uh, I, I have a quote from Brian Wolfmuller, and this is, this is a quote from my memory from Brian Wolfmuller. So this may not be the exact words that he said, but I'm sure that if he listens to this episode, he'll be like, that's yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much covers it. You can't, communicate a complete truth with an incomplete sentence. Um, that is something that he has said on, on his show, which is a table talk radio. It's Lutheran. So they, so there's that. Um, but Brian Wolfmuller likes to quote uh, from the Chris Tomlin song. There's a line that says his body, the bread, his blood, the wine. And, uh, what he points out is a Catholic, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, and a Baptist can all sing that line and not bat an eye, despite the fact that they all have a very different understanding of what communion is. Um, so his body is the bread, his blood is the wine, satisfies a Catholic. You know, his, yeah, like his body represents, or the bread represents his body. You know, his body is represented by the bread. His blood is represented by the wine, uh, you know, satisfies someone else. You know, it's, you get into some really interesting uh, nuance when you finish the sentence because his body, the bread is not a sentence. His blood, the wine is not a sentence. I, I will say that songwriting trick, if you're dealing with, um, you know, syllables and things like that, you can earn a fragment. So if he were to say his body is the bread, his blood, the wine, uh, it's an earned fragment that you know that whatever verb you used from the first sentence is also applied to the second sentence. It's a little trick. If you're, if you're struggling with your, um, with your syllable count and things like that. But, um, you know, his, his body is not the bread verbatim like a Catholic would believe, you know, his, the, the, the bread does not become the literal body of Christ. Um, the, also the bread and the wine don't become mystically entwined with the soul. Um, the, and that, which is what a Lutheran would, would believe, uh, Presbyterians and Baptists are more closely related, but, uh, Baptists would tend to believe that they're purely symbolic, whereas a Presbyterian believes that um, that there is a little bit of mysticism involved, but not to the degree that a Lutheran believes that Christ is with us as we are taking those elements in more than just symbolism. But um, but he does not 
go in and around and underneath. Uh, it's there's nuance there. Yeah, so, the Lutheran kind of would say like it's sort of like um, you have grain in a sack. Well, you don't, you know, that, that's kind of the illustration that I've heard used before to try and explain the elements of communion and, uh, or Lord's Supper and, uh, in a Lutheran way. But if you're Lutheran, so, right in. Yeah. And so since we're not actually talking about communion, but we're talking about fragments and music. I'm not prepared for that discussion today. Yeah. yeah. This is just, you know, it's, it's an example, real practical example where you have a fragment whoever is listening to it is going to bring their own theology to the song. And if you leave the song open for interpretation, then it will be interpreted. If you are a Baptist and you write a song that can be interpreted by a Catholic in a way you did not intend, and that bothers you, then you should change the song. You should change the lyrics of the song so that it actually conveys what you believe and not, uh, something not in a way that can be inter that, that can be changed to mean something you don't believe. Um, so that's, that's the point. That's the point of what I'm trying to say. Um, we talked before also uh, an important part of grammar is um, like, there's a song by uh, we are messengers that says, um, if all my shame hadn't drove me to hide in the shadows, uh, the word is driven, not drove. Uh, you need to, you need to make sure that you get your grammar right because you, you, it makes you look smarter, but in a good way, not necessarily like using the, uh, so using a lot of words that no one knows makes you look like you're trying to sound smart. Um, using improper grammar, makes it sound like you're trying not to sound smart. So you want to sound, you want to sound reasonably smart. Like, you know what you're doing. You want people to know, think, you know what you, you know what you're doing, because I tend to believe that everyone who's writing songs, especially ones that actually make it in, onto the radio, they know what they're doing. So if you know what you're doing, do what you know. Um, if you seriously make bad conjugation uh, mistakes in your normal everyday life, maybe work a little bit harder to pursue excellence in the craft of the language you speak. Um, syntax. Syntax is an interesting one because this can go both ways. So syntax would be the structure of the sentence. Um, Yoda has very poor syntax. Poor syntax, Yoda has. Um, there's a really good meme that someone did where it has... Obi-Wan Kenobi saying Father Abraham had many sons and then Yoda saying many sons had Father Abraham. That's hilarious. Um, oh my word. Then does he sing the seagull song? It, it didn't have the seagulls though. The seagull song's pretty good. Uh, I think the meme had, then it had Brian Williams saying I was one of them. Um, just because, you know, Brian Williams. Wow. But uh, when you're talking about syntax and you're talking about sentence structure, again, when you're dealing with, um, with rhyme and with meter, especially when you're trying to set like scripture to rhyme and meter, uh, it is a tactic to intentionally uh, invert sentences. And this is something that is fine to do. Um, but I would just caution you if you're going to do that, 
don't like just do it once in a song. Like be consistent with what you're doing. Doing it in every sentence would be rough, but if you have 20 sentences in your song and the very last one's inverted and none of the other ones are, it's just going to throw people off and it's not actually going to convey the message. But if you have, you know, one line in every stanza that has an inverted structure in order to hit the, the rhyme and meter, people are going to catch on. Um, so again, it's good to know syntax It's good to understand how a sentence needs to be structured um, in order to be able to then break the rule. Because the, the last portion of this is comprehensibility, uh, which, is, which just means being understandable, like getting your message across and kind of incorporating this, this word choice, grammar and syntax. You got to know when to break the rules without becoming confusing. So you can break any one of these rules at any time if you understand how to do so correctly. Um, again, these rules are guidelines to, uh, to get us where we're going to go. Breaking the rules in a very strategic place is going to make people remember the song. And it might actually help your, um, might actually help the song make more sense. I think uh, Cody talked about the Shylin did a song with them on their new um, Philippians album where he was intentionally mispronouncing words to make them rhyme. And it, made it stick better. It was a better song for breaking the rules because he did it in a strategic way. And so that's this kind of this idea of, of word choice. Again, for further reading, I do recommend those two books by Pat Patterson um, or taking a, a class of his online. He probably has some YouTube stuff as well. He's, he's pretty famous as, as the kids say, I guess I don't really know. Um, do you have anything else that you want to share about word choice uh, and, and lyrics before we move on to music? Uh, I might just highlight that it's important to consider them doctrinally as well. And I think that kind of goes throughout everything you're saying. Um, but this is something that is definitely really, really important. If we are purporting to write music for worship, it ought to be a worship song and not just any song that you might hear anywhere. Um, right. It's got to communicate a, a deeper truth about scripture. And I would say um, it, it, uh, this might fall in more of the guideline area, but don't make it too shallow. You know, mm -hmm. like this isn't, we're not all kindergartners out there and believe it or not, some people have been Christians for a very long time. And the, those deeper truths are ones that we hold uh, very deep, you know, very closely. And um, it, if we're able to, um, you know, God give us the whole scriptures, right? And if we can pull from that, um, that's, uh, you know, one of the, very best ways uh, to do so. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that's all I really wanted to add. Just kind of a, it's really just underline everything that you're, you're trying to, that, that you're saying here around, around craft and everything. Um, and it, it's kind of like all pointing to that. Uh, but I just wanted to say it explicitly as well. Yeah. And uh, kind of to, to even piggyback off of that, um, 
don't use something colloquial if it's going to change the doctrine of what you're trying to say. Like, our God has robbed of the grave. Um, the song Resurrecting by uh, Elevation Worship. Uh, if you want to hear a good 45-minute review of that one song, go check out Sound and Worship podcast <laughs> a couple episodes back. Uh, Justin let me on to, uh, to record a couple episodes for him while he was on paternity leave. And so, um, yeah, check those out. That was something else that, that happened in between this episode and the last one. Um, well, um, I've got a friend in, in the room with me. But, oh. um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, the last line of this particular song talking about the resurrection yeah. says, our God has robbed the grave. Mm. And that just brings so much, so much unwanted and unnecessary drama to the, to the story that, I mean, it's, it's really, really bad doctrine to say that God robbed the grave. It's borderline calling God a sinner. Well, yeah, uh, I wouldn't expect that you had heard this song, but uh, Hillsong Young and Free just came out with a new album. Uh, well, I'm this not time, even Friday night, it, last week or it, something. I don't remember. It's something like that. They're all dancing. Yeah, that's exactly it. The third song on this album is called House of the Lord, and it's about going to church, but it's in such like a, I don't know, like just sort of a, well, colloquial is a great way to say it, but it's just so, I don't know, crass almost like this, we're going to get all dressed up and, you know, go to the house of the Lord because it's really cool there and all my friends are there and that's why it's so great. And it's on Sunday. It's going to be great. You know, that's like the whole song pretty, pretty much. Don't do that, please. Don't, don't, you know, I, I don't know. It's maybe just another reason. Yeah. Young and free. And Terabang. Hmm. Um, yes. Some, the things we do for yes, this show. The things we listen to. The uh, things that Spotify right. tries to get us to listen to because we were listening to things for research. Struggle is real, peeps. Struggle is real um yeah so let's move on to music so music is going to be more interesting uh because it is more subjective so as far as lyrics you can you can say what is right and what is wrong objectively when you say something dumb like our god has dropped the grave you can be like hey don't think no no about that but um music with music theory things get you have a lot more freedom um um, yeah, I, I did already mention the, uh, the DC talk album, um, supernatural where I, I, I don't think that they made the right music theory choices, but someone liked it, um, because it, it did pretty well, did pretty well for itself, but let's, um, kind of get into, uh, let's get into the meat of this. So this, this full question was, um, is the music crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that shows discernible care and attention to basic music theory elements like melody, chord structure, arrangement, and singability. Um, So melody, that's going to be the major takeaway. Um, The melodic line, that's what people are going to remember. That is literally the, the music like the what's what you sing in a song is the melody. Um, 
I personally feel like I'm really good at coming up with melodies. Uh, at least I can come up with them really, really quickly. I don't necessarily know that they're all good, but uh, that's something that comes naturally to me. Um, what's more difficult is is putting the melody with a chord structure that is interesting, logical, and not boring at all. Um, you may have heard before that all you need to know to play any song is G, D, E minor, and C, and you would be right. You can literally put any melody in the Western musical style to those four chords and only those four chords, and you'll be able to play any song. Uh, will it be the exact same way that the writers intended it? Probably not. But would it be exactly what Hillsong intended it? Yes. Um, you really need to put, you really need to just hanging out with all my friends at the church. You need to leave your mute off because you keep busting out laughing and I don't catch it because you're on mute. <laughs> well, I'm on mute because my kids are upstairs. Yeah. My computer fan is trying to make my computer take off into the atmosphere. So audience, anyway. know this. I am just, I am just killing it with green. You're killing it today. But nobody knows. It just sounds like they're all falling short because. He keeps yeah. muting himself. I'm letting I'm letting you all down. I'm I'm letting you all know uh, down, knowing how funny Brian is. Yes, because I'm hilarious. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, there's a good Babylon B episode or episode, a good Babylon B article that said uh, Hillsong to unveil the the new fifth chord. Um, definitely <laughs> in reference to all of their songs, just having D E uh, G. D, E minor, and C as their chord structure. Uh, getting into a little bit more about the music theory behind that, um, every scale uh, has exactly seven unique notes that all repeat. Um, you might remember the song uh, Doe, a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun. My kids absolutely know this because we introduced them to the sound of music this past week, and now they sing this all the time, all of the songs from it, in fact. But um, so, do re mi fa so la ti, and then it just goes back to do, do, uh, do. So um, seven notes. That was beautiful. Thank you. Sounded like a professional. I try. So seven notes that all repeat. Um, when you put the eighth note on there, which is the same as the first, it's called an octave. Oct, meaning eight. Uh, kind of like October is the eighth month in the year. Ten? Have you ever, have you ever that stopped? That was not as good as your other jokes. That's fine. Have you ever stopped to think that oct means eight, nov means nine, uh, or, uh, sorry, oct means eight, sept means seven, oct means eight, nov means nine, and dec means ten? Uh, I haven't, but weren't they named after like, you know, Roman only two of them. Roman only gods. Two of the months. No, uh, September, October, November, and December literally stood for the seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th months in the Roman calendar. But when they decided to go back to a 12 month calendar, they added Julius and Augustus into the mix. Well, and they both get 31 days because not one was better than the other uh, history lesson for the day. Anyway, <laughs> octave. So if you're using our podcast in your homeschool curriculum, which you should we be, we just gave you a bonus. 
that we did. Um, so an octave would be uh, the eight notes. So the one to the, the one to the eight, which is the same note but repeated. Um, every scale has those seven notes, and every note you can build a chord off of it. A chord is three skipped notes. So one three five would be a one chord. Two four six would be a two chord. Three five seven would be a three chord, and so on. Basic music theory. Um, the chords built on the one, the four, and the five are all major chords. The chords built off the two, the three, and the six are all minor chords. And the chord built off the seven is called a diminished chord. And rarely any songs in the pop music genres have any sort of diminished chords going on. Those are going to be much more in like classical type music. Um, and if I did an entire episode on just this sort of technicality, you would have all turned it off by now. So I'm not going to subject you to any more of that. Uh, but I did want to say that the, yeah, the, the one, four, five, and six chords are by far the most popular. And we've already mentioned this. It starts like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, in the major lift, uh, he is literally talking about what chords he's playing at that point in the song, and they're all one, four, five, and six. Um, so they're all. That's a really short list. Pop songs that are about music theory as a subject. It's is pretty just, much. The th- that's the only one yeah. on it. Yeah. So uh, not a Christian song or a Christmas no. song, but it is a song, a music theory song. Yes, it is a song about music theory. Yes. So, um, that's the primary, I would say. Um, so some, I mentioned earlier that some bands might throw in a two, um, Switchfoot likes to throw in the three, but that's pretty much the only six uh, chords you're going to get in any one given song, unless you start throwing things in like a secondary dominant or a secondary subdominant which is playing a major chord instead of a minor chord in a given, in a given moment. Is that in a Lydian scale? Um, you can, they, they fit pretty well in Lydian and Mixolydian scales. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Church music, <laughs> church modes. Um, we're really, really losing everyone. Let's get back on. We are. On track. Oh, right. I, okay. I, I say all of this to mean that music theory goes really deep. It's a it's a very vast uh, well that you can go down. It's full of a lot of really interesting and fascinating things that most people don't bother trying to figure out, especially people that make it into the music business just don't care about, especially if all they have to do is sing and just sound pretty. They're not going to care about the chord structure of their songs. And, uh, and so especially if you want to be relevant to everyone, the, the one, four, five, six, um, Chord, progress, uh, chord progression works just fine for everyone. Um, if you want a really good example of the one, four, five, six, go look up the song Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. It is the most boring song in like your church repertoire. I promise. It's just so boring. It's the same chord structure over and over and over again. They might hold on to one of the chords for like an extra beat at one point in one of the transitions to to throw it off a little bit, but it's just really boring. And if you ever wondered why is this boring, that's why. Um, moving on to arrangement, 
this can be multiple different things. So when you arrange a song, when you have a song just on the page, uh, when you have the melody and you have the chord structure, um, you're, you can also add in vocal harmonies, uh, different instrumental um, arrangements. So what instrument is going to be played where and what is the instrument going to play? Is it going to play chords? Is it going to play its own melodic line? Is there going to be point and counterpoint? Another other fancy music theory terms. Um, you know, what, what all is going to be involved with the instruments? Um, and then uh, dynamics. Um, so really common just raise your hand, everyone at home. We're all watching. Raise your hand if you have been in a church service where you're singing a song and on the first verse, you're kind of at like a five. Like things are, they're not just quiet, but they're, they're good. And then you hit the chorus and it bumps it up to a six. You go into that second verse and you might have some of the instruments that sat out in the first verse in the course are coming in like the drums or the bass. Uh, you might get the vocal harmonies beginning in, in verse two. And then in the second chorus, everyone is like in, but you're not quite all the way to the top. You're like at an eight or a nine. And then you're going into that bridge and you're like cranking 11, just bam, 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 bam. And then you drop it all out and it's just the piano for that, that last chorus. And then you build, 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 and then it's all gone. How many of you have witnessed that exact song on every single song that you did in church in a given week? Every single song? Have you, have you ever been to a, like, it's almost like every song that you did that week was that exact same arrangement. I know that everyone has heard it at least once. Oh, because it's a all, all the time. Movie. It's very common. But like, I was thinking like every Bethel song ever it, they're very, they're very good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah I will say uh, it's very, it, it builds the emotions. Yes. So it gets that going for you. Chorus but, with um, no instruments, chorus, just the voices, chorus with no instruments, chorus with the key change. <sighs> yeah. Uh, if you don't know what Brian is talking about, that is um, the video, the worship song song. The worship song, song. And uh, go check it out on YouTube. I'm tired of adding links. We, there's enough of them already. There's enough of them. You're, you're, you're going to have to go find that one for yourself. Yes. <laughs> worship song song. Anyway, the worship. We linked to it a lot in our early days. That and yes. Babylon B articles. Anyway. Um, so. Uh, yeah, but it, like it is. It, it builds the emotions. I we we did that a lot at our old church in Omaha. Actually, um, they would do that, a lot, but not every song. Not every song. Like, every single song. There have been some weeks. There were a little, there have been some weeks. Uh, really? Not not like it's not incredibly. Probably common. at the OPC church, right? Not at the OPC church. No. <laughs> Sing hymns, folks. Yeah. All right. Anyway, what? So uh, yeah, so you 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 have been at services where they have where it feels like that. at least where it has felt like every song is that way. It felt. Um, like it. I know that at T4G they will do every mm. every final verse will do a cappella. Yeah, they're limited there though because all they have is a piano. Yeah, and pretty much all male voices. I mean, it's like ninety percent male voices. They will sometimes have like the the men sing one verse and the ladies sing a different one though. Yeah, um, but I'm just talking about like ladies are there. Yeah, it's but there's. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, T4G is is really really fantastic. Together for the gospel. It's hosted at 
uh, Southern Seminary, um, Sovereign Grace Music usually mm-hmm. does the recording. Um, fantastic stuff. Mostly hymns, modern hymns, and things along that nature. But uh, and you get a lot of books. You do get a lot of books. But um, I had read an, I heard an interview with um, with Bob Coughlin where he was talking about how they intentionally do every last verse a cappella just because there's something special about it. And there is, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but dynamics is important. It's also important not to get into a dynamics rut, which is what I was talking about. Um, by the way, love lifted me. The song that I recorded <laughs> that's on that with Justin, that's on Spotify that's more really or less has that exact same dynamics flow through the entire song because it's, it's really, it, it's very common in our culture. Um, people are listening to it. They know what to expect. And because they know what to expect, they know what's coming. And, um, and they know like where, when they're at the climax. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's because it's what you expect, you know, it gets done. It gets done a lot. Um, there's a bomb in Gilead. It has quite a bit different dynamic play. But you also don't want to just be like at nine the whole time and just be boring. You want you want to you want people to engage in the song mentally, and having a good dynamics arrangement um, helps you to engage mentally in the song and not just kind of go on autopilot. Um, finally, singability. Singability is um, is really important with congregational worship. Um, if this is regarding um, like a show piece, like something that's on the radio, something that you did for you. Um, even if it's like personal worship, you don't have to worry about singability as much. But for corporate worship, singability is incredibly important. Um, there are resources out there where, where people have like estimated, like what is the average vocal range? You know, what songs, like what range does the song need to be in in order to be able to be sung by everyone in the church? Um, you know, that's, that information's out there. Um, so if you're writing music, the information's out there. You just have to look for it. Um, but there's a lot of songs today that they'll do like an octave jump out in the middle of it because the person who's recording the song um, can sing in three octaves. And so they utilize everything because that's what makes that singer special. And while it's, while it does highlight that one singer's you know, vocal range or tessitura, if you want to be fancy, uh, that's his fancy. It is fancy. Um, it's not going to help the congregation. Uh, in contrast, uh, Kristen Getty, she's got her, comfortable vocal range that she records on, but she never sings those songs live in the same key that she records them in because she sings them live in the key that's going to best fit the congregation. Um, and you know, that that's something to keep in mind. So if you are singing a song, like if you are a worship leader and you're about to lead music, just make sure that it doesn't, that you're not trying to find the songs that best fit your vocal range. Try to find the songs that are going to best fit the church's vocal range. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I am with singability. If you're writing songs for the church, keep that in mind. If you're choosing songs for the church, keep that in mind. 
Um, if it's for an offertory piece that only one person will be singing and your church is cool with that kind of thing, it's different. Um, otherwise, singability needs to be taken into account, uh, and it often is not. So we should have everybody sing the, um, the song in uh, Do Re Mi, you know, like they did for the shape note singing, like we talked about with Henry. Yes. Sing that first, figure out where your congregation, special congregational meeting, maybe. Yes. And then kind of like measure that. And then, no, don't do that. Don't do that. There's information readily available online where experts who, who have studied this have guides for you to choose. If you, and rule of thumb, if you sing a song one week and you notice that no one is singing along, um, and you know that the song was maybe a little bit too high for you, lower it next time. So next time you sing it, lower it and see if people respond better. If people respond better, then hey, that's a good example of, you know, I, I, I'm hitting our church's um, vocal range better the second time than it did the first time. Um, and so maybe that's maybe that was what the issue was. So we're going to start a, like this movement, I feel like, Brian, where it, we could call it move the capo. And it's just like getting a movement dedicated to getting worship leaders to lower the, the, um, the key that they're singing this in to better match them. Potentially. Also, rule of thumb, if you sing a song in one capo, like I always write handwritten really big at the top of my chord chart what capo I'm supposed to be in. Because if you change capos from one song to another and you forget to change your capo, it throws everyone off. It just throws yeah. everyone off. And well, another just, show of hands, if you've been there in the audience when they have to stop everything because somebody forgot to move their capo. Yeah. I'm going to raise both it's hands because weird. I've been that guy. You've been that I've, guy and you've also experienced that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Bad memories, bad memories. Uh, I... I had in seminary uh, one of my, this is my first time ever to get in front of like a group of my peers with a guitar trying to lead worship. Um, or at least it's been the first time that I've done so like not cocky because I, I did it a little bit in college where I was really cocky with it, but, um, but trying to actually lead in worship and not trying to perform in front of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what the first song was, but it was in Cape four. Second song, I'll never forget. It was all hail the power of Jesus name. That source. And crown him Lord of all. You're welcome. That was rough. That was, that, that was yeah. Change your capo next time. You lost some people, I bet, on that. Lost some people. They all dropped. That they, leap. they all dropped the octave for that. And I and of course, I immediately know. I know exactly what I did. I know exactly what I did. That wasn't the only time I've done that. Wasn't the only time. It's been a long <laughs> time since I've done that. But definitely was not the only time. So, yes, that is why I handwrite. And when I'm picking songs, I try to have two songs in the same capo if I'm going to do them back to back. And if I need to, I learn a new key, like a new, I learn new chord shapes so that I can keep the, the capo in the same every time because it's just better for everyone. 
Well, that's some free tips from free tips from from Jemerson here. Yep, that's great. So, um, so that wraps it up. Like that, that wraps up the craft conversation. Unless you have anything else that you want to add. Uh, I mean, I know that that was a really tough act to follow with the uh, soaring crown him Lord of all, but well, I was a first tenor, but um, as I've not sang in a choir for a, quite a while now, uh, my voice has kind of regressed a bit. So I'm not nearly the singer that I once was, but you know, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily out of my range, but it was for other people. <laughs> um, and that is a great hymn. I, I, I did notice something um, like you, you mentioned the octave leap and probably don't do that, but at least that's better than like a seventh leap or even a sixth leap. Those will throw everybody off. Yes. At least an octave sounds like there's the, the um, it's yeah. That octave leap is a lot harder to like hear. Uh, or I mean, a lot easier to hear than a seventh leap or, or or a six or or like a minor seventh. Can you imagine? Yeah, and I'm not even necessarily yeah. just talking about like an interval. I'm talking yeah. about now we're transcribing the entire melody up a full octave. Oh, I see. But well, earlier this is earlier. Yeah. You, you had mentioned like they'll they'll do like a whole octave leap or something yeah. like that, even and in a song. Like, don't write that into yeah. Your don't song. don't write largely. That can be one of the hundred bad ones that you yeah. write first. So for melodic line, absolutely do not do not include an octave leap in your in your melodic line or a an augmented fourth. No. <laughs> Subtle nod. Just don't do it. Subtle nod to our friend Brad. Um, uh, we do love you, Brad. We do. Um, but it, it it messes up the here comes the bride, uh, which is my go to for a fourth hearing that you know like you would do. In, yeah. Did you ever do that? Like, oh, yeah. are you memorized like minor, common minor songs? Minor third is Bronze Lullaby. Da da da. Yeah, it's a minor third. Augmented fourth yeah. is Maria or The Simpsons. We always yeah. had to do one two hmm. one one two three two one. One, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. One, six, five. One, four, three. One, og, five, one. Wow. That's uh, pretty great. Um, I w- never did that exercise, but that sounds really good. Um, really, really helpful. My kids, uh, to uh, contextualize this just a bit for our listener, are all getting into music. This is their, uh, well, they're at all different years, but um, so my girls are all doing strings. My son did, has done tra- trombone for the last two, three years, something like that. And he is now picking up drums, which he always wanted to do. But this is one of the wonderful things about homeschool is that you can pick up drums if you want to do drums. And, uh, whereas, you know, at his public school, you know, you had to try out for drums before he had even ever done drums. And, uh, that's where he got into trombone, loves to trombone, continuing to do that, uh, in one band. And then, um, in, in the homeschool band, you can play in multiple groups. And so he is trombone in, you know, the intermediate band or whatever, but then is going to go back to beginner band and do drums. So, um, 
that and anyway, he's also loving playing the piano and stuff like that. But and singing is a little bit more difficult for him, and so teaching him like minor thirds and major, like hearing hearing the interval and being able to like know that, uh, like when you see it in the music, know what it's going to hear like is such a valuable skill. Uh, and I didn't really learn that until later high school, maybe even college, um, which is uh, late, but um, there you go. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So uh, hopefully we've kept all of our listeners this hopefully. far because we did get <laughs> a little technical there close to the end. Uh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, so I, audience I did mention earlier that I have already tweaked the craft questionnaire just a little bit. So I, I did want to uh, just kind of point out some of my noteworthy edits. Um, I am switching the order of craft and beauty so that the craft portion comes first because it is more foundational that beauty can kind of build off of. Um, and also I, I, I did have, um, I think I had melody, chord structure, singability, and music theory. Like I had it listed like that. And so I changed it to where mu uh, music theory is kind of the parent. And then I added yeah, melody, chord structure, arrangement, and singability. I believe I added in arrangement. Um, I, I kind of yeah, had you it. Did. I think I, I. The original I, says melody, chord structure, basic music theory, and singability. Yeah. So just kind of changed it around, added arrangement. I think I had something like that in there somewhere, but it was just, it fit better right there. So yeah. that's kind of my noteworthy changes to the craft questionnaire. Um, I think that we, I'm, I'm really happy with how it is right now. So we are going to upload that uh, to our website probably as soon as we finish recording this. And that way, when it gets when we upload this episode, it'll already be there for you. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're we're pretty excited about that. Um, also, uh, just wanted to kind of give a a nod that we have some really cool stuff what? coming up, but we're not going to talk about it in this episode because we're probably already at this is an hour <laughs> and forty minutes, something like that. And I think there's probably less. Than, we're probably cutting less than 10 minutes of, of that, of, of what we've recorded. So there will definitely be some things that you won't get to hear because we're just cool that way. Um, <laughs> Believe me, they're not worth hearing. Yeah, it's not worth hearing. Um, it's us searching Google for things that we forgot to look up ahead of time. <laughs> um, but already over an hour and a half into this as you're listening so we're going to leave this for next episode. Um, but I did want to say that it'll probably be three weeks from the time that you hear this before we air the next one. This one came out late due to COVID. Thank you again, COVID for that. Um, and the next episode will, um, will actually have a longer time in between because we're planning on having a little extra time in between season three and season four, which is coming up in our next episode. Um, um, <clears throat> so before we wrap it up, is there any, anything final that you would like to say? Um, it's been a great season. season three? Uh, like I said, if you have been just tuning into our podcast, do encourage you to go back uh, maybe to the beginning, even just to the beginning of season three, which started with episode number 30. 
and uh, just give it a listen, uh, see what you think, write in, join us, uh, and uh, join the community. So love to have you. Yeah. And uh, so kind of wrapping up excellent, I I did want to say be excellent to each other and, (laughs) and party on dudes. Okay. But seriously, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. There is a bomb in the air to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the air to heal the sin sick listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. I already mentioned the the Newsboys album, uh, Supernatural, where I think that they made some bad decisions, but someone like... (laughs) DC Talk, don't don't besmirch. Do not besmirch my beloved Newsboys like that. I did. I said news voice. All right. That, that's going to be <laughs> for sure. Let me, let me try that again. Okay. <laughs>